so glad you found us on the map. The Mental Health and Addiction Podcast. I am Kimberly Walsh, and I'm here with my partners in crime, the great and powerful Andy Panda Bernstein. Powerful. Wow. <laughs> powerful in my own mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and get this, the magnanimous Chris Perry Long. Wow. That's two words. I say two words. Magnanimous sounds fat. It, no, it's outgoing and and fun and <laughs> and and uh, the stupendous. How's that, Willie Drinkwater? Hi ho! Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Tell us who you are. Give us a quick uh, snapshot of who you are, and then let Kimberly tell us. Uh... I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> anyway, though, you know. What's wrong um, with you, dude? <laughs> uh, where do you want to start? Do you have enough time? Right. Um, right. I'm gonna. Yeah. Educator for UMass Boston in the Addiction Counseling Education Program. I have a private practice. I work with those that have addiction coupled to mental health issues, otherwise known as co-occurring disorders. So, and you're uh, a specialist. You know your stuff. Yeah, I like to think I do, but you know, I mean, the most important thing as an educator is uh, the more I learn, the more I know. I don't, I don't know. So, I need to be a lifelong student. Kimberly, sorry to interrupt. Go back. Not to, a problem. Okay. So, um, just a quick background on us, so you know. Uh, Chris Long has been in the industry for many years, dedicating herself to working with families and helping people get into treatment. And Andy has been an advocate for mental health and addiction, uh, both as the producer of Crosscheck Radio, um, as well as through his own experiences. Um, as for me, I am a person in long-term recovery and the founder of a sober home for women on the Cape called Brady Sandy. <laughs> we put this podcast together because all three of us are... Um, very passionate about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. And we believe that the more light we shed on these topics, uh, the less people will stigmatize and otherwise punish those who suffer from these diseases. Moreover, we hope the information we provide and the topics we discuss will help encourage people to seek treatment. So um, thanks to Foxborough Cable Access TV and Michael Weber, we now have the ability to take your questions live during the show. Um, also, we now have all of our episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, so please post and share the show with your followers, and don't forget to tag your friends. That is enough out of me. I'm going to kick it over to Andy to get the wow. show on the road. <laughs> That's good, and yeah, thank you, Willie, for uh, bringing your words of wisdom to the show as well. So, we'll, see. We'll, 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 we'll just see how much wisdom. Debatable. You know. Debatable. Yeah, yeah, debatable. Everybody good? You guys all good? Yeah. All right, good. We're we not, always do our little check-in. We're check not in. going there today. <laughs> we're not going there today? <laughs> My saga goes on with the PUA unemployment. Oh, boy. Okay. We talked today about that last today time. Is a new day. Today is a new day. All right, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put a pin in that, like an old boss of mine said. Let's put a pin in that. Yep. We'll get back to it. All right, so we got a lot to cover. we got a great guest today, Jason snook and we're gonna that's yeah we're gonna meet jason in a little bit but um as you know lots going on out there and uh one of the things i recently heard and uh this is something to kind of be aware of a little bit alarming at the same time you know obviously um you know there's a stigma with addiction and um but it seems like a while ago you know that we've really started to make strides and now it seems that because of the covid more um it's coming back. And so there was actually an article May 27th uh, from addiction.org. 
Stigma Worse Now Than Ever uh, Amid COVID, and it's by Joseph Curtis. And without reading the entire article, which I would love to do because it's a pretty fascinating, um, they're basically saying the substance abuse treatment industry um, has a group therapy and living model and has left and has been left with few answers about how to proceed in the face of the COVID. And it's saying how the pandemic um, prevents uh, progress right now from happening in the, in the drug epidemic. And, you know, obviously stigma is a mark of shame or disgrace that's associated with a particular group of people. And it's a stereotype-based, stereotype-based thing based on uh, religion, the medical and health conditions. And obviously uh, today, uh, stigma is, um, you know, people are doing uh, free groups and activists trying to to end it, but um, but it's back again. Um, and so Willie's going to talk to us about it. But one of the things that, um, you know, obviously the AMA has recognized that substance abuse is a, uh, a disease, but um, funding is being cut for it by the Trump administration for the for substance abuse because of um, you know, the COVID. So, um, which makes sense, but obviously, um, there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, one of the, uh, police departments doesn't want to administer Narcan because he wants some, doesn't want him to be too close to people. Um, and so, you know, these are, these are some of the things that, um, addicts or, or people, substance users are facing. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys because you know better than I. What are your thoughts about the stigma? Yes, One Chris. Second. So yesterday, did anybody hear Trump? I did not hear it, but it was shared with me uh, about Trump's order, newest order. Like he put the hammer down and he, so it said, Trump, my friend texted me, Trump's order would insensitize, insensitize, in, what? In, incentivize? Yes. Uh, local departments to bring experts into the mental health and addiction and homeless as a co-responders to help officers manage these complex encounters. And it would encourage better information sharing to track officers with credible abuses uh, to prevent them from moving from one department to the next. So basically he stepped in and he, um, he kind of like advocated for us. Like, I don't know, maybe he, I don't know what happened, but like all of a sudden he advocated for people that suffer from substance abuse, mental health, as well as the homeless. So I don't know. Yeah. 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 I mean, to be devil's advocate on that, you know, you can advocate all you want, but if you don't have a plan for it, it sounds really good. Right. Sounds nice and stuff. Then it comes down to how are you going to implement it? So, right. Right. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, to get it out there verbally. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it was great. It, it had been, it had been brought out, you know, days before by other people. So, but it's like, how are you going to implement that? That becomes the big question. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm seeing, seeing a lot more now just with like primary care physicians that now have social workers in their office and are doing referrals, you know, for mental health and addiction through a primary care, which, which you didn't see up until maybe five years ago that they started to do that where, you know, where you'd have, you know, someone in the office available to refer people to services for addiction and or mental health. So, so, I mean, that's a big step, step forward too, but, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's, you know, how we, how are you going to implement that? I uh, have a feeling that the mayor in Atlanta will come up with some good ideas though. I wish, I wish she was in the running for VP. Well, she is in the running for VP. I don't know if she'll be chosen or not, but with uh, Keisha, 
down in Atlanta seems to have some really, really good ideas and a real good, good feel for what's going on. So. What, what, are, what are some of your ideas as a, uh, you know, because this was a topic that you kind of um, wanted to address. What are some of the ideas that you uh, think we should be doing? Yeah, I mean, drink water. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for I mean, the main thing I wanted to get into today was the stigma piece, because, you know, uh, you know, stigma for a long, you know, had been eased up for quite a while in addiction, mental health, it was still there, but it was it was downplayed more. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it's almost like we're experiencing a backslide now with, you know, with the protesting that's been going on and everything else. It's almost like, you know, now you're starting to hear from the right, you're starting to hear, well, you know, these people, you know, the, the, these people that were killed by police, you know, uh, you, you know, they had, a, you know, uh, you know, addiction issues or, you know, they, they had some domestic violence issues. And it's like, it's like, you know, if we're if we're trying not to stigmatize, why why would you even bring that up? You know, why you, you could even say that, you know, some of that grew, grew out of grew out of the environments that they were in, you know, where we weren't really helping at all. So. And how would they know that, really? I mean, how would they even know what what conditions they had as the police were being, you know what I mean? They wouldn't yeah. know that after yeah. the fact. It's totally irrelevant. Yeah, right, 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 exactly. You know, it's it's almost, you know, like the alt-right trying to come up with uh, justification. Well, you know, they, you know, they really weren't people anyway. They were addicts or alcoholics, but it's not being said, you know, and stuff. And, and, and I had cited the case here where I had a client of mine, you know, trying to get into an emergency room to be seen by a crisis team, and they were telling him to get off the property. Get off the property. You know, we're dealing with the COVID and the ED now. We don't need people like you around here. And and he actually and and he actually videoed it on on his on his camera phone, you know, and, uh, you know, when they're saying, oh, you think you're so tough, you're videotaping us. Just get off the property. We're dealing with real issues here, you know, and stuff. So, you know, I'm, I mean, the ignorance has n- n- no bounds at times, you know, it just doesn't. And we're, we're in a liberal, educated state, you know, so I mean, it's it's interesting. So what do you think is going to so what do you think is going to happen from from here? Do you uh, do you see it, you know, once kind of people get back in the swing of things? Do you see, I guess my question is, do you see this as a forgotten topic? Do you see it, you know, people with addiction? Yeah, I uh, think it's it's be, be, be being backseated for now. I mean, you know, you know, even when we look, you know, nationally, you know, when, when, when you have when you have a state of denial about the covid and, you know, the president's going to have a big a big rally this coming weekend and stuff. And, you know, I mean. Uh, you know, you know, in, a, in, in sort of a comic way, I'm thinking, good, have a big rally. There'll be less voters for Trump in the fall, you know, but, you know, that that's really not a nice thing to say. Yeah. But I guess we, I don't, just, we yeah. don't get political here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no politics. No politics. You're going into the uh, mute. You're going in the timeout. Yeah, no, uh, the- <laughs> um, but, but but my question is, is yeah. that. Um, you know, it's we need to like have the roundtables with, with with all the providers need to have a roundtable together and how we're going to put this together. You know, like, for instance, are you going to have, you know, a, a social worker, a crisis worker who's 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 like on 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 call for your department? Or is it going to be a position that maybe multi uh, municipality share somebody? I mean, I know I know even in the uh, you know, in the addiction mental health field, like a lot of programs, they can't afford a psychiatrist, you know, a full time psychiatrist. So what they do is you get three or four programs that will share a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist will make rounds between a couple of programs, you know, like Albany Street Shelter 
you know, has a, uh, an NPCS, a nurse practitioner, clinical specialist, you know, that, that she's there on like say Mondays and Wednesdays and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, she goes to another program and stuff. So, you know, you know, how, how are we going to make these services available? I don't understand how we can spend so much money on things that prolong the, the issue per se, if that makes any sense at all. What do you mean? Well, well, they're thinking short term as opposed to long term. They're saying, oh, it's going to cost too much to do something for long term. But then you end up spending more money by you keep doing these short term things. Well, it's, it's even like, you know, in the old days when you get people say, well, you know, those people. What happened? Will you sound? Why do you want to? Okay, there we go. Is my sound back? Is my sound back on? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can you guys hear the pulsing of the (laughs) bass? Oh, wow. I can't hear the pulsing, but I hear you. My pulsing still testing one, two, three. What? We can hear you. We can hear you. All right, back to normal. So back to normal, please. I can't take any more uh, uh, instability here. Yeah. I got enough in my life, please. 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 Yeah, no, what, 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 what we've done for years is we paid for short term, you know, to, to get back. You know, you know, the, the, those people at Albany Street want to be that way. It's like, you know, what have we set up for them to be able to move forward? I mean, we, we, we can't even get past the concept of 30 day uh, programs. You know, I mean, when you look at the research, you know, uh, you, you don't see a significant drop in relapse until someone's had 100 days of continuous treatment. But where are you going to get 100 days? And Why then, is that so hard for them to understand that? Yeah. Why? Yeah. I, so, I, so they keep paying out the short money, which ends up being, you know, costing you more than if you had a long term program where you'd be able to set people up to stay in uh, recovery you know, for, for a longer period of time. So that's a good, that's, I'm sorry to cut you off, but that, that's a good transition. Cause I, you know, as somebody who is not, I've said before, I'm not in recovery. I'm on a journey, right? Because, um, my, my thing is different than alcohol or addiction or things like that. But here's my question. He has a podcast addiction. What's that? (laughs) He has a podcast addiction. (laughs) <laughs> I, I know, but here's my question. But I care, and I'm passionate, and I have my own experiences. But here's my question: How important? And I was talking to you guys this about this yesterday. How important is structuring a life, right? That is more than just treatment. For example, is credit, financial literacy, understanding job opportunities, understanding. Um, you know, continuing education opportunities. Like, are there things that can be attained that, you know, yeah, I'm sober, you know, for 30 days, but I'm going to go back out and I'm going to be right back where I was because I've never really addressed the full issues of why I can't cope in the, the first place. Yeah. The whole, yeah. it's what I refer to. The whole to schmear, it. the whole schmear. Yeah, I mean, it's what I refer to as wraparound therapy. You know, are you are you really are you involved with somebody that's looking at your whole picture, or is it, you know, you know, just don't drink, just just don't drink, just don't drug, everything will be good, good, good. But but you know, are you talking to them about you know, well, you know, where do we go from here? You know, I mean, I I come up on quite a few folks, or if not 
most of them that there's an existential angst. Who am I? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? You know, sure. So, I mean, that needs, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that needs to be addressed. You know, at least you stand a chance, you know, a better chance because you're starting to address some of the core things rather than in, in my eyes, I could be totally off base, but some of the core things that um, everybody needs to succeed in life is an understanding is are things in your toolkit to allow you to succeed. So, so I think that Andy, this is a good segue to bring in um, our guests because it's a great segue. They, um, what they do is exactly dress those things that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So bring them on. Bring them on. Uh, Mike, can we bring in uh, Jason Snook from Aware? There he is. Yes. Welcome, Jason. Uh, we have Kimberly, Willie Drinkwater, and uh, Andy here. And we would love to hear a little bit of your story and how AWARE came into your life and then share a little bit about AWARE. Yeah, hello, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for, for having me on. And it was, uh, it was really nice to listen to uh, Mr. Drinkwater, was it? Well, uh, yeah, hello. Yeah. Hey, how are you? It was, it was actually uh, really refreshing listening to your, your views on uh, modern day contemporary addiction treatment. And, uh, and, and I, I fully agree. So do you want me to introduce myself? Yeah, really please. Quick? Uh, so uh, my, my name is Jason Snook. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and drug and alcohol counselor up in New Hampshire. And uh I've been working in the field for a little while. I've worked in uh, a plethora of different treatment centers up here and, and around New England. And one of the things that I noticed was, because I, I, I'm a person in long-term recovery myself, and so I'm uh, very familiar, I'm, I'm no stranger to the uh, penal system. <laughs> I've been incarcerated several times because of my drug and alcohol history. And I realized that um, one of the major issues there is this idea of, of stabilization, that we need to take somebody um, similar to jails uh, and, and prison, um, we take somebody out of their natural habitat, out of the community, and we place them into these stabilized uh, facilities under lock and key for 28 days and they may do very, very well. I know I was doing well in stabilized facilities. However, as soon as we are released back out into the community, we're just kind of dropped on our head and there's no real continuum of care there. Uh, and, and along with the stigma you were talking about, Mr. Drinkwater, this stigma of needing to remove these people who have substance use disorders from the community and put them into these facilities, it's already stigmatizing enough. And then the ability for them to be linked up with uh, social supports back out in the community. I mean, it is just very difficult and they are left with just, just very, very little support. So how did you, um, how did you come about, how did AWARE come about to you in your life? And do you want to explain exactly kind of what the AWARE program looks like? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to. So uh, one, of, one of the things that he was talking about earlier was this idea of wraparound services, right? It's not 
just solely working with somebody's substance use disorder, right? It's just so much more. There's just so, so many different components of somebody's life that needs to be addressed. And, and uh, I, I got introduced to Aware Recovery Care back in 2016 when we first started in New Hampshire. And what these services look like is we are in-home addiction treatment. We are truly meeting people right where they're at, where, wherever they're, they're living. It could be in sober living. It could be uh, in homeless shelters, in some type of uh, program, where, where, wherever they may be. And uh, the whole premise behind it is that uh, we take what's similar to an ACTS team of a community mental health organization, but instead of for severe and persistent mental illness, we are primarily substance use disorder. And, and what I mean by that is it's, it's a full team addressing every single factor of somebody's life. We go right around the uh, eight dimensions of wellness, their physical health, mental health, uh, spirituality, their living environment, support network, employment. And uh, we do this with an entire team of professionals because we realize that people need psych providers. People need, uh, if, if, if they need MAT, they need some type of uh, maybe sober living if they don't have a place to, um, a healthy uh, place to be living while they're in early recovery. Uh, we also have registered nurses going into the home to take care of their physical health. Um, and then also one of the biggest factors of treatment that I see that gets missed in almost every single treatment that's out there is the family component. Right? We have a very, very structured uh, family component that uh, we figure we're in the home, might as well work with the family while we're in there. And that includes family educators, that includes uh, family liaisons, uh, master's level clinicians to be able to really work with their support network so these individuals feel supported. I have a question. How, how long does do they stay with the treatment? How long do the... Um... Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, we, uh, along with Mr. Drinkwater there, we believe that 28 days does not just all of a sudden solve somebody's substance use disorder. It just, it just doesn't, right? It's barely scratching the surface. We are a full year-long continuum of care. And, and the idea behind that is we are, are with these individuals for an entire year, uh, holding their hands through the process of getting uh, reconnected with the community, with their community supports, so that by the time we take a step away from, uh, from the individual at the end of the year, we want them already plugged into all of their, their supports. Right? That's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. Thank yeah. you. That's great. Are there certain, certain key things that you guys try to address when we talk about wraparound? What are some of the key tools well, you may have already covered that, but what are some of the key tools that people um, need to obtain or you feel like people should obtain? Sure. So one of the biggest, um, you know, the, the, the ideologies that we use, one of the biggest modalities 
is uh, self-determination, right? We're, we're really big on strengths perspective. So take me, for instance, uh, you, you stick me in some type of treatment center and you say, all right, Jason, we are now going to work on X, Y, and Z. And if you don't uh, work on X, Y, and Z, we're going to deem you non-compliant to treatment and, and basically you're a failure, right? Now, X, Y, and Z, I don't want to work on those. Usually, typically, it's things that I don't deem important in my life, right? Now, you sit down with somebody and you allow them to create their own goals and hold them accountable and support and advocate for them to complete those goals. You're going to have a much higher success rate for them to, to make progress in, in their, um, you know, in, in their uh, recovery. And so that's, that's one of the biggest modalities that, that we like to use. Yeah. Okay. Chris. So Jason, in your story, your personal story, um, what did that look like? Did that, I mean, I know what, where you are and what you do now, and it, it's very intriguing with the acupuncture and your clean eating and all of those things, but how did you get where were you and how did you get there? Like, what is, what is some of your story? What are some of the key things that, you know, if you don't mind sharing? Sure. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. Thank, thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I no longer keep secrets from everyone, right? It's the secrets that kill us. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very transparent with my life. So I am really big into holistic medicine now. Uh, I have really broken away from the, the whole medical model of, uh, of, of treatment. Uh, however, I, um, when I first got sober back in 2011, I uh, came under the, the, the wings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And by going through a 12-step program, it really allowed me to break away from these old traditional ideals, uh, these these values and morals and these these beliefs that living living on on the streets, living in that particular way, um, no longer served me. And so, going through the twelve steps, I look at that as basically spiritual boot camp, so that I was able to be free of of those old unhealthy ideas. And after I got broken free from that, then kind of the world opens up and I'm allowed to go and, and, and kind of journey down my own spiritual path. Yeah. Kimberly? Um, go ahead, Kimberly. No, I, I, I can relate to that. I can 100% relate to that, um, Jason. What got you? What got you interested, though, in, in like wanting to help others? Like, where did you come from to where you wanted to? Okay, I've done this. These things have happened to me. I need to share this with somebody else so that they can um, learn and grow too. And how do people respond to it? I guess we. That's good to add to that. Yeah. So, in, in particular, I, I I believe you're asking me about the the in home model of care yes. and how people respond. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I, I got to tell you, it is so refreshing to see people's reactions when they realize that a program like ours exists. Uh, we are the very first model of, of our program. And I believe that we are going to be seeing 
uh, a new movement of more community-based treatments. Uh, we, we are revolutionizing the way that, that uh, modern-day substance use disorder treatment is being delivered. Uh, and so being able to work with other people while they still get to go to their job, right? If they're in school, if they have any type of childcare concerns or they, they simply just can't up and uproot their life and, and go to this treatment. The people we work with are just so unbelievably grateful that, uh, that, that we are able to make an impact in their lives. Um, and, uh, they get to choose really their their own journey through recovery and and we advocate for that basically you go into the home and you know my my motto is for when i'm working with people is you know i want to walk beside you i'm not going to push you into this and i'm not going to pull you into that so basically you are walking beside them um and guiding them and supporting them and giving them that you might be giving them that little extra nudge, but for the most part, they're determining their, uh, their path and you're just supporting them. Um, obviously if it's, if it's a bad path, you're not going to support them. But I think the difference <clears throat> with you guys and with what aware does. And I know that like for me personally, when I work with somebody, the mere fact that I give them the time of day and I meet them where they're at and I offer a little bit of hope is the huge difference of being in a facility with 50 other people and 35 of them are there just because they want to rest, get a shower and get some food. They're not there for the right reasons, you know, and the other few people that are there for the right reasons, because there's so many, they don't get that um, really in-depth individualized support that they're looking for. So what I know, like what AWARE does, now you're in Connecticut, you've, you've creeped into Massachusetts, you're in New Hampshire, you're in Florida. Uh, Maine um, too, yeah. In where? Uh, in Maine. In Maine. So, I mean, what are your numbers? Like how many, I know Connecticut was like your first place and then you, did you go to New Hampshire or Florida? or kind of Florida and New Hampshire at the same time? How are you being accepted by the, by the communities, I guess is the big question. Sure, so it's a really interesting question. So we did, we went from Connecticut to uh, New Hampshire and uh, we were uh, partnered with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shields. So we're fully, fully in network with them. They actually have asked us to go to these individual states to be able to set up our, our model. And, and work with the individuals and the communities in, in each state we go to. And the, and the latest state that we just opened up in was uh, Florida. They actually asked us, they, <laughs> they requested that we go down there and, and introduce what we were doing for work down in the community to see how people responded to it. And we use outcomes data from actual claims from the insurance companies so we get to see, uh, they're, they're not numbers that, that we come up with, you know, sustained recovery and mm -hmm. how long people are staying sober. We, we don't, we have those numbers, but we really like to look at what people are using for their claims data. So before our year long program, people are in and out of emergency rooms, people are in and out of inpatient facilities. I mean, sometimes two, three, four times a year. 
and then they come into our program and we're working with them out in the community and those numbers drastically drop to almost zero. And then what we see is the year afterwards, what people are continuing to use their claims data for is not emergency rooms, it's not it's more stabilization, it's they're continuing to use uh, their claims data for PCPs, right, primary care physicians, uh, their outpatient providers, maybe their MAT if they're continuing to, to be on that protocol. Um, and they're staying engaged in their community. And that is, is what we really love to see, right? We, we are a firm believer that people get well out, out, out in, in society. Not, not That's what you want, people. right? Not right. Willie, you're nodding your head. No, no, Try no. I'm enjoying what I'm hearing. That's the reason I'm I'm not in my, my my head. It's you know it's about it is about the community and you know it's like what what are the big things with with Pine Street in is even before like you know even before someone's quote addiction issues are settled so to speak to them the most important thing is housing it's and being housing. treated like a and being treated like an individual as yeah. a guest not yeah, yeah. A, I, I mean some folks talk about the spirit you know about spirituality I, I like to talk of that in terms of humanness you know mm. it's about human to human you know you know i i'm no better than you you're no better than me we're all here together you know that 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 type of feeling you know, that yeah. human to human which you don't get in a program when you're packing them in as if they're like a herd of cattle it just yeah. doesn't happen willie it's it's a really great point that that you bring up there it's uh you, you, you stick somebody in a, in a really short-term treatment program, and it's almost as if as soon as you really start getting to know somebody, they pack their bags and they move out and they're on to, you know, kind of fend for Well, them. yeah, it's almost like, like a short-term program for short-term recovery, you know. Yes. It's, it's, right. I mean... Now, now you take a year-long program, and I, I know as, as, as a social worker, I know the number one most important factor that determines good, long, sustained recovery is building rapport, right? And, and how do we get that rapport? It's through trust. And I mean, how difficult is it to be able to build trust with somebody over the, the short 28 days um, as opposed to an entire year? Or... How about this? You go to detox, you get to know a therapist or a clinician or whomever, case manager, and now it's time to go to CSS and you have to start over. How many times does that happen? You yeah, have to and I mean, yeah, I mean, I as a therapist, I mean, you know, you, you don't get instant therapeutic rapport when you start with somebody. You know, it, take, it takes, I mean, I have my own therapist and it probably took me six months till I got to a point where I was really comfortable to totally open up. I yeah, mean, it's not a not a quick fix. I, I yeah. see Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly is chomping at the bit to get in on this uh, discussion. <laughs> Go ahead, Kimberly. Talk talk to us. Circle less. gets the square in your little box, uh, <laughs> uh, like Hollywood squares. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, thank Paul you, Paul Lynn. Paul Lynn. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that's that's why I think sober living is so important too, because the system is set up as the way it is, and they only do get 30, 30 days. It's so important where you where you put them. You know, they have to be able to use those tools. They have to get support. They have to have other gender, you know, the same gender. 
supporting them and getting them out into the community. Like Jason said, they have to have a plan and that's where you can get to know, you know, you get to know the person, you get to know what their likes are and what they're passionate about. And then you can foster that on an individual level. They get to know themselves. And they they get to know themselves. Yeah. Themselves and learn about themselves. Yeah. I mean, I've just a quick, so I've, so I've got a gal here and I, I told her I'd give her a shout out who like never, never had vegetables. Doesn't like it, you know, very, you know, resistant to trying new things and she's she's been eating cauliflower and you're taking three and a half mile walks and she's just a new person you know and she feels that and that's i think that's where the recovery takes place at least starts you know so jason i got a question for you sure how are treatment centers receiving your your services yeah so i mean they they really really are uh open to collaboration with us. They realize that uh, sending people back out into the community after uh, a, a short-term stay isn't in- entirely the, 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 best, uh, <laughs> the best approach. And so they do realize that the longer somebody's in treatment, the better chances of sustained recovery. So we really have been accepted throughout the treatment community. And, uh, and, and we have also uh, really been developing some good partnerships with, with other uh, inpatient programs as well, other, other hospitals and detoxes, um, because we realize that somebody's in our care for an entire year. We realize that you know, they're probably not going to just breeze right through and, and, and stay sober for the entire time and not have any difficulties or challenges arise, yeah. right? We're, we're not that naive. So we do uh, look to other treatment centers to be able to provide some stabilization if, if, they, if they do require it. Right? I, I, have, I have a question for you. I, I hope you don't feel like you're on the hot seat in rapid no, fire. I love being on the hot okay. seat. Okay, cool. Um, here, here's, here's my question. Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room, right? Which is insurance and funding. How do you, um, you know, cause obviously it sounds like you great do great work. Um, we had somebody write in actually, I don't I forgot the name, but he says you do guys do great work and, uh, kudos to you. Peter Burke um, from, Farnham. From, from Farnham. So, Hey, right, Peter. Uh, right. Woo Um, I'm gonna ring the bell. Ding. Um, here's my qu- here's my question for you though. Um, what's the insurance po- process like? How like how how can people uh, take advantage of that? This is very cool. Sure. Yeah. So we are in network with a few uh, commercial insurances. So we're we're in with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shields. We're in with Tufts and now Beacon. Um, now interesting. Now. Uh, what that looks like is each state that we set up, we have to go through, uh, it's, oh, it's like pulling teeth, but we, we have to go through an entire process to try and get paneled with Medicaid. We realize that a gigantic portion of the population that needs substance use disorder treatment in the first place probably don't have a lot of money. So they're, they're on some type of uh, state funded insurance. Um, We've, we've gone through all of the hoops. We've, we've jumped through them and we've crossed the T's and dotted the I's. What it really comes down to is uh, each state doesn't really want to be able to pay for it. Um, that's, that's just been my experience. They see a year-long treatment program and they say, oh, wait, wait a minute. And kind of mm. like what, what Willie was talking about before, like 
they want to be able to provide the shortest amount of treatment possible to try and get the best outcomes. And, and that ends up costing them more in the long run than if they did the one year. But that's a credibility issue, I bet. I bet that's a, you know, um, a credibility issue where, like everything else, maybe pe some people were abusing the system. So they're like, all right, well, they're going to say it's a year-long person. You know, it's a year-long uh, treatment. Of course, it should be a year-long why is it a year long and why are we funding that? So I'm guessing that there needs to almost be a paradigm shift in the way that it's viewed, not 30 days, but really over a uh, longer period of time, kind of reinforcing that's the method for success. On top of that, my question is, um, can you share some ex success examples of, of people who have gone through your program and how they have, you know, can you share, give any light to that? Yeah, absolutely, Andy. And, and I, and I got to tell you that uh, we are starting to see a little bit of a paradigm shift already. People are recognizing that this is not just a, a short, acute disease that just gets solved or cured over a short period of time. We have been seeing community members understanding that more and more. So that's some good news. Um, and then as, as far as the, um, the, the, the second question that, that you had there, um, so as far as, oh, you know what, can, can you actually ask that again? I got, <laughs> I, my mind just went about five different directions. And then I, I do that to all. people. I do that to people all the time. And I take them <laughs> all over the place. That's like my, my thing. Um, <laughs> um, tell me about. Um, success stories, because I'm always curious whenever I talk to treat, people in the treatment industry, I really always want to know, all right, what happens next, right? Like, yeah. can you give examples of somebody who um, has gone through your program and has been, you know, not only in long-term sobriety or years, but really how are they uh, doing in life? I don't know if Absolutely. you can speak to that. One wonderful question, and I'm really glad that Peter's actually on uh, listening to this right now because um, we have an individual actually who went through our entire year long program, graduated, was very, very successful at it. Um, and uh, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield actually just put out their annual report and highlighted this individual as a success story. They did a, an entire uh, video on it and I can I can send you guys the yeah the please link, um, you know afterwards um, and and what happened was they interviewed her and she just so happened to um, go through our program and now works at Farnham Treatment Center yeah. uh, advocating for individuals going in, in and out of that program currently. I mean, she's, she's probably there today and she is uh, one of our wonderful success stories. That's awesome. And, yeah. So, uh, and, and, and we see this happen a lot. I mean, people who really make it through that entire year, just the, the, the opportunities for them just start opening up and, and oh, what a beautiful thing to witness. Guys, what say you? Um, back to the insurance thing. So what I found to be really cool, initially when you, you guys first started, um, Jason, you know, Blue Cross Blue Shield was the only uh, insurance that you were able to accept. Yeah. And you guys jump through hoops and everything else. And actually Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield like loves you guys. 
And you guys actually have your own billing code. Is that correct? Something along those lines? Yeah. You know, the, the, the guy who created this program, I mean, he, he was, uh, um, I, I'm not going to call him brilliant. I'm not going to give him too, too much credit. But really, he understood that one of the challenges, one of the barriers uh, to um, treatment is entirely that insurance itself is what drives treatment. No clinical factors, no environmental factors. It's, it's solely money. And so what we were able to do is he created this, this um, it's called IHAT, which is the, the billing code that we use. We, we created our own billing code. And we did this because any type of fee for service that you bill at uh, has the ability to be able to be picked apart and it determines, oh, well, they, they may not need any more treatment. So instead of getting a longer amount of stay, they may cut you short and then discharge you. Well, we started billing people at a, at a monthly, uh, a, a monthly copay and it's a, it's a, it's a bundled rate for that entire year. So there's no way that they're going to be dropped after a certain period of time that they know that they're going to be fully supported for that entire year. Um, not only that, but we're designed so that we are a very, very small copay. It's, it's about a $20 a monthly copay to get in our program. And uh, we, we first, um, you know, developed that to make sure that people didn't have to jump through hoops financially to be able to access uh, care. Yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, it sounds like a wonderful program that you guys are really dedicated to, to not heads and beds, but really, uh, you know, the, the numbers, but really more intention, you know, more of a, uh, like you said, a holistic approach to, to treatment. Uh, having said that, uh, how did it all start for the company, uh, the organization? Can you speak a little history of how you guys got started? Sure. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to get too controversial here, but I know I've, <laughs> um, I feel a particular way about it. So, um, so it actually was designed for uh, working class blue, blue collared individuals, people who couldn't just leave their families and go away for a month. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was designed to um, be able to work with people in their home and, uh, so they wouldn't have to uproot everything. Now, our uh, uh, CEO, un un unbelievable guy, uh, Steve Randazzo, uh, he worked out in the pharmaceutical industry as, as a salesman for, I don't know, you know, 20 some odd years. And, uh, and you know, I, we always joke around like, you started the problem, now you're trying to clean it up. Uh, <laughs> um, right. But, but he, I mean, guy was brilliant when he realized that that this is so needed in the community uh, and so we actually started with with working class individuals at the time nobody was willing to insure any of that no there's no payers out there as an entire year-long program no thank you until they realized that there was actually a whole bunch of liability if you have a job site where you have people uh, on, on, on prescription medication that they're abusing on a job site. Now it's suddenly affecting people in the pocket. 
Exactly, exactly. Right. And so we do, uh, and I can't share any of the actual statistics or numbers with you, but we do save people a lot of money over the long term, right? We're keeping people from in and out of emergency rooms, which is unbelievably expensive, uh, as, as you can probably guess. Um, and so after we started going in network with insurances, uh, that's when we were able to start opening up to uh, a lot of, uh, you know, more individuals. Our, our, our dem demographics really started uh, exploding. We, we weren't working class anymore. We were taking in, uh, you know, 17 and 18 year olds that are still living at home. And then we're also working with elderly who are in assisted living programs, right? We're, we're working with people all over the state in more urban areas and way out in the middle of nowhere. So we just really expanded in, in that sense. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thank you, uh, Chris. Yep, I got a question that uh, was texted to me by a faithful viewer. Mm -hmm. um, heard the discussion on the state process and insurance. Firm believer in local community to get involved. Is there outreach in your business to get local communities involved in either education or support? Yeah, ab absolutely there is. Yeah, so we, we plug people into their, their local supports. I mean, that's primarily what we were designed to do, right? We, we want them hooked up with uh, family programs, with outpatient providers, with their local recovery centers, uh, with any type of self-help meetings. Uh, if, if we don't plug them into all those things, we haven't done our job yet. And so that is really one of the things that, that we focus on uh, doing well. Yeah. In our remaining minutes, right. I, I had two things. A, can you give your information about how people can get in touch with you? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. Right now. That's a pretty straight I thought there might be more. But I said, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wait, there's more. But wait, there is more. <laughs> he just hasn't gotten to it yet. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so I can leave my number uh, with it. Do you want me to just say my number? Say your number. So, Email address, uh, my, whatever. And then we'll my personal number is uh, 603 one two two five you can call me that any any time of day or night uh and then also i believe my email is already listed here somewhere so people can can grab that off the computer um and and really the beautiful thing is is if somebody does need access to treatment right away uh we don't have a wait list because we don't have the whole heads and beds thing that i i, I like that saying um <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's got a good ring to it, but I don't like the concept. I'll just, I'll just, no, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> like butts and seats that sports teams say. But, it's now heads in your own beds. Right. Heads in your own beds. Yes, exactly. Right. So we don't have a wait list. We can hook somebody up with treatment right away. I mean, almost hear that. Hear that right away. <laughs> right, right away. away. Yeah. Hey, um, thank you for coming on. I, I have a question for the group and then Kimberly's going to take us out. But here's my question. Right. And we can go. I'm looking at, we're going to start with you, Jason and Willie, and then um, Chris and Kimberly. But here's my question. What would you say, and I've asked myself this question, is the number one thing that affect, is the reason why people abuse substances? If you could go around the room and say one thing 
right? I know there's multiple things, but if you could narrow it down to one thing, what would it be? Hi, Jason. Oh, does somebody else want to start? I'm sick of talking already. Okay, no. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You, you go. Trauma. Okay. Pain. I've got a hyphenated numb out. The what? Numb, Numb out. out. Okay. Numb out. No feelings. Jason? Can I just say care? Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. an interesting one. Yeah. Mine, because now that I'm I'm looking at this in a different in a different view, right? I'm th- I'm saying money, right? Financial. Hmm. Do I have money? Am I stressed about money? Does it affect me? Am I worried? Can I get treatment with money? How do I earn a living? Right. It may sound simple, but but I'm just thinking of it on a broader scope. Is it, is money would not that money alleviates problem, but if you had money, would you feel more secure? And if you felt more secure, would you be able to don't look at you making that face? But I'm serious. That's just if you talk to anybody that's in long term recovery, money was never the reason. Okay, you know, it was never the reason to allow them to use and it was never the reason to prevent them from using because where there's a will, there's a way If they're going to use they're going to use. They don't need money to to they'll find a way. I mean, I get what you're saying, but. Some, some of the most complicated cases I have are people that don't have an issue with money whatsoever. They're trust fund right. babies. Right. 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 Nothing to do with worse. money. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. it can be. It's almost worse. Well, yeah. right. So that's part of the whole money thing. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying maybe you have money. Maybe you don't have money. But, you know, but number, it seems number like one reason, a- number one reason, existential angst. Who am I? What am I doing? What am I doing here? Right. What's my purpose? What's right. my purpose? Existential angst. Just a thought. Just because uh, I haven't done this show, you know, doing shows for... Yeah, bring on Victor Frankl and Rollo May, man. Come on. This you know? is their 33rd show, right? The map. And then we've also done... And I did 90 shows before with you, Drinkwater. And, yeah, yeah, baby. And, and the thing is, is that it always seems like the ultimate conversation we always have is money always comes into the factor. Okay. So that being said, I think money can prevent people from getting the help that they need. Money is definitely an issue when it comes to Right. But it's always there. It's always a part of this in some form or fashion. It can be an impediment if they have too much money. Because that's what I'm saying, right? But it's always there, and and either you don't have enough, or you do have enough, or if you you don't, somebody's not paying enough. If you don't have a schedule, you don't have freedom. People, people, a lot of times miss that. You know, it's like if you're a trust fund baby, and you can. I have a cousin. I have a relative. You know. know Yeah, you can do whatever you want, and you don't have a structure to your day. Then. It's, He's it's really tough. without purpose. He's without purpose and struggles every day of his life to find purpose. Existential angst. Every day of his life to find purpose. And, and he wants community and he wants friendship and he wants all this stuff. And that's what money cannot buy for him. He can't buy. It. And when he does buy it, he's in big trouble. You know, he doesn't buy it. He rents it. He, he, he rents it. But exactly. But I'm just saying, it's a it's a fact of it. Like that's yeah. a a it's big thing. I want to get a 
that's all yeah. I'm saying. Like in my mind, that's like one of the things. So maybe well, I would reframe it down this road, Andy. Like just uh, gets us going. Rub us right. up. That'll be, that'll be our next show. All right. <laughs> so Kimberly, with that said, take us out. Thank you, Jason, for coming on. Really You're appreciate awesome. it. I hope you enjoyed it. Will you come again? I absolutely or did we will. scare you away? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Well, again, thank you, Jason, for coming on. And thank you, Willie, for coming on. We appreciate it so much. We hope to have you both back on again soon. Um, as you all know, we do this podcast to help reduce stigma, and to, but also to be of service to um, anyone struggling with addiction or mental illness. We have access to an entire network of professionals, and we can help you find the right fit. Please reach out on our Facebook page or at the numbers given below our names during the podcast. All right, guys, you've been listening to The Map. Thank you all for your support of our mission, and we will Thank see you, Jason, on Friday. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll Bye-bye. see you on Friday. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.